Well, turn to First Samuel, First Samuel eighteen, one through nine. First Samuel eighteen one through nine. One of the one of the truly wonderful. This is just such a wonderful place to be in the Bible in First Samuel. So much wonderful truth. And First Samuel eighteen one through nine. Now it came about when he had finished speaking to Saul that the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as himself. Saul took him that day and did not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David with his armor, including his sword and his bow and his belt. So David went out wherever Saul sent him, and prospered, and Saul sent him over, uh, set him over the men of war, and it was pleasing in the sight of all the people, and also in the sight of Saul's servants. It happened as they were coming when David returned from killing the Philistine, that the women came out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with joy, and with musical instruments. The women sang as they played and said. Saul has slain his thousands, and David his tens of thousands. Then Saul became very angry, for this saying displeased him. And he said, They have ascribed to David ten thousands, but to me they have ascribed thousands. Now what more can he have but the kingdom? Saul looked at David with suspicion from that day on. The word of the Lord. You know, I I uh, sermon title is thanking God. In First Thessalonians five eighteen it says, "In everything give thanks." And then it says this: "For this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus." Now, I don't know about you, but um, when I was probably late twenties, I was really on this mission to know what is the will of God, and I always loved passages like this because this is real straightforward for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus that you and I in everything give thanks there's another one in first Thessalonians 2 it goes like this in verse 4 chapter 4 verse 3 it says for this is the will of God your sanctification that you abstain from sexual immorality there's another one for this is the will of God and tonight what I want to do is I want to say this is the will of God that you and I give thanks. And I want to show you four places from our text that we need to give thanks. First, give thanks to God for friends. Second, give thanks to God for personal training. Third, give thanks to God for enemies. And finally, give thanks to God for Jesus Christ. So let's start. Thank God for friends. Now, if you, if you read this whole chapter and you've got at least one verse there, or a few verses there, of, uh, of this chapter, what color would you paint it? What color is oozing or being, is permeated uh, by chapter 18 in 1 Samuel? I, I would say to you, I think it's the color green. It's green with envy. It's green with, with, with uh, jealousy. David has just put down Goliath, nine foot, six inch Goliath. His name is on the top of the billboards. He's a household name overnight. And there's no one who does not know his name. The crowds love him. The the army loves him. And the king's son loves him. 
But there's one guy who doesn't love him, or not as much as he used to. <laughs> and that person is King Saul. This friendship that, it, that happens here in our text between Jonathan and David, it, is, it has the, hand, the mark of God on it. There's no other way to explain it. One commentator called this the eighth wonder of the world, that the crown prince is loving this man named David. It's amazing to us. David knew while he was playing the harp in the fields with the sheep, he knew the power and the love of God. He knew God's power as he killed a lion and a bear. He knew God's power as he put the Goliath down. And now he also knows the gift that this was from God as God gave him this friend. There's no other explanation for this friendship except God. David comes off the battlefield a great champion and immediately, without any hesitation, Jonathan, the heir apparent to the throne, he could have easily been filled with jealousy. He's filled with love for him, David. Verse 1, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David and Jonathan loved David as himself. That is the finger of God at work. And God is graciously working here to grant David a very important friend when things are about to start going very badly for him. Things are going to get really difficult for David. And here we have God giving to him, Jonathan, to be a tender and supportive friend, a protector of his life. Jonathan was watching this battle go on. Jonathan, if you remember 1 Samuel chapter 14, he's a pretty powerful warrior himself. He goes with his armor bearer and says, perhaps God will give us the victory. And he kills 20, remember? And that starts a great victory for all of Israel. But here's a question for you. Where was Jonathan when Goliath was standing out there and bellowing and, and speaking against the people of Israel and God? Did he shrink back when it came to Goliath? We, we, we wonder. But when David goes out into the field, into the valley, uh, up against Goliath, it appears that Jonathan's faith is reignited. It, it appears that he's encouraged when David fells Goliath out there in the valley, and instead of shrinking back anymore, he's drawn close to God again, and we see that as he comes close to David. They're almost different in every way. Jonathan more than likely is 15 years older than David. David is from a poor family, and Jonathan is from a wealthy family. David is from the tribe of Judah. Jonathan's from the tribe of Benjamin. They're different in many ways, and yet they're knit together by their faith in the, Lord, in the Lord God of Israel. Jonathan's heart is filled with love for David, and he takes the initiative to, to cut a covenant with him. Look at verse 3. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. And so you remember how covenants are cut. They take an animal, they split it down the middle, they put one half on this side, another half on this side, and Jonathan makes David walk with him between the two halved pieces of this animal. And they're basically saying, this be done to me right here if I do not keep this covenant with you. And then Jonathan does one more thing that's really amazing. This is one of those marks of God sort of things here in our passage. We see that Jonathan gives David his royal insignia. Now, crown princes don't do this sort of thing. They just don't do it. Now, actually, if you think about it, David is going to be sort of a crown prince as well because he's going to be marrying into the family because of his victory over Goliath. 
But this man is not full of jealousy. He actually gives him his robe. Verse 4. He gives him his armor. He gives him his sword, his bow, his belt. And Jonathan, his weapons most assuredly would have been the best in all of Israel. But more than that, more than just giving him some really great stuff to take with him, he's transferring his position to David. He's esteeming David in the eyes of all the people. He's esteeming David in the eyes of of all the army. He's saying, I love him, I esteem him, and I want you to do exactly the same. So let's make an application. Consider thanking God for your friends. Have you ever stopped to thank God for the friends that He brings along to you to comfort you and encourage you and to to endorse you and stand with you? Has there ever been a time in your life when just about the time you're going to go through the worst moments of your life, right before that, or maybe right after it started, God brings to you a friend and favors you with a friend to go through that with you? David is going to go through the worst time of his life in the next 13 years, and he's going to have a guy named Jonathan with him the entire time. The entire time. Anytime you and I are favored with anyone, their love, anytime we're favored with somebody's love and their their care for us and their prayers for us and their being there with us, anytime, we should attribute that to a gracious God. 1 Kings 17 says that God favored the prophet Elijah with ravens. To feed him. The Bible tells us that God favored Joseph when he was in Mr. Potiphar's house. He favored him when he was in the jail with the jailer. And he favored him with his presence in Pharaoh's house. And when all of Israel made its exit out of Egypt, do you remember that God favored the Israelites as they left, causing all the Egyptians to do what? To give them their, their silver and their gold and their clothing. In fact, it says that they were plundered because of their favor. <laughs> they gave it to uh, them. Any favor from any sphere comes to you from God. We need to thank God for those that He's given to us to promote our health, to promote our wealth, even at their own expense. Now, I've told you guys before, y'all know where that Cadillac came from, but I'm going to tell you a story maybe I haven't told you yet. But Richard McKellar's a friend of mine. He used to come to the gym every every uh, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday for prob- at least two years where we worked out together. I saw him more than that. But and on Monday, January the 11th, I wrote this down. I remembered it. On January the 11th, tw- uh, 2010, my foot started hurting. And the next day, I stepped off the curb and my foot broke. And I was hoping for better. I mean, I thought it was, I'm pretty sure it was broken. But I went over and sat down because I'm real stubborn. I'm going to get ready. It's Monday I got, or Tuesday. i got to get ready for my sermon. And so I'm working at the, there was a like a Holiday Inn across the street. So I sat down after I limped over there. And then I got up one hour later and I stood up and I almost went through the ceiling. So I got in the car. I drove to the orthopedic surgeon and I got x-rayed. I drove there with my left foot. I'm, I'm so skilled. I drove there with my left foot. I got there and they said, you need surgery. You have what's called a Jones fracture. And um, usually that doesn't heal very well, but it was going to cost so much money. And we're fretting about how much it cost. And Richard, he called the doctors that work there. They're his friends. He asked what was going on. They said, we've seen his x-ray and he needs surgery. And I told Richard I was thinking about not having the surgery. (laughs) He went down to the hospital and he paid the bill. He said, you're having surgery Friday. And he told me what time. 
And I ask a question, you know, where do these people come from? (laughs) I mean, where does this kind of tenderness come from? And I think we need to admire the Lord's covenant faithfulness to us when He pours it out to us through other folks. Those are sympathies that He can help pour out through our friends. And some of you, and maybe I need to say this, I'm glad my children are listening. Some of us maybe need to ask, you know, how can I become a friend like that? But it's going to cost if you do. Go ask Richard. It cost him physically to do that. But you know one of the things (laughs) that was so incredible about it? He was so happy to do it. This is what he told me. He said, well, you you know, you make your living... Uh, training people, and I've been working out with you for two years, and I've never paid paid you once. So I just call it just call it even. Where do people come from like this? It made him so happy. And here's the thing: you see, if you want to do this, my kiddos, if you want to do this, then you have to look at the other person, and you have to say to yourself. I'm going to put my movie down. I'm going to put my music down. I'm going to put what I want to do down, and I'm going to do what they're. I'm going to watch their show, listen to their music, or do their thing with them. And if it makes them happy, it will make me happier. There's a line for you to remember. If it makes the other person happy, it will make me happier. Now you have to bite that off, and you have to work on that one. If it makes Steve happy, then I'll be happier. And so we have to work that into our souls. And I think sometimes, you know, young people, my young people, here they are. I think sometimes we think, well, this is just church stuff. It's just all grown-up stuff, and I really don't have to do this. But this is something that we all need to pray for and ask God to give us the energy and strength to do. This is not just for dads and preachers and for, for men who serve in the church. This is for all of us. And we all need to ask God to help us to give ourselves away and make others happier, and God will teach us that we are happy, happier for making others happy. Maybe some of us need to learn this, uh, to be this kind of friend, and we're in the process of learning to be this kind of friend. And we need to learn, number one, we need to learn something. We need to learn that this is a triumphant thing and not a tragic thing. I want to explain that to you. Many people see Jonathan's life as a great tragedy. Now think about Jonathan. We've studied about Jonathan. We've looked at Saul. Saul is wearing the purple and the gold. But Saul doesn't deserve to wear the purple and the gold. The one who's really got the purple and the gold in quality in his character is Jonathan. He is high quality. He is faithful. He is a godly man. He has probably learned everything that Samuel taught Saul. It went out Saul's ear, but it went into his ears. He is the godly one. But the tragedy the world would say is, is that Jonathan's not going to get to rule. That's tragic. According to the American dream, the American dream is if you've got the character, if you've got the skills, if you've been taught and you've been trained and you're gifted, you should get to do what you want to do. Why should your dad's bad decisions, be, you pay for them? Saul, when this kingdom was taken away from Saul, it wasn't just taken away from Saul. It was he, God told him he could not have a dynasty. And so that meant Jonathan is not going to be a king ever. And so that seems very tragic to us. We think that's just a tragedy. But if you think about Jonathan and how he looked at the kingdom of God, it is a fantastic triumph. 
Because Jonathan says the kingdom doesn't belong to my dad. And the kingdom doesn't belong to David. And the kingdom doesn't belong to me. But the kingdom belongs to God. And so what I'm going to do in it as God's subject is I will submit myself and I will do my will where I'm supposed to do it in the kingdom of God. And that is triumphant. Being in God's kingdom and being this kind of friend, it may mean uh, that you have to give up the success that you would like to achieve to see God's will be done. Now that's a statement. You have to give up the success you would like to achieve in order to see God's will be done. Think about women sometimes. Smart. Our women are talented. And what do they do? They stay home. And we call that, is that tragic? Or is that triumphant? When our women stay home and train their children, do we not call that in the kingdom of God triumphant? We have a man who comes home from work. He left the launch pad in the morning, and now he's on the landing pad. The same launch pad becomes the landing pad at the end of the day. He's landed. He's looking at his boat in the garage. Got a 300-horsepower motor. He's got 75 pounds of thrust on the trolling motor. He's got his rods and all that stuff in the boat. He's sitting in his car, and he prays a prayer, and he says, Lord, Help me to be the best husband I can be. Help me to be the best father I can be. And he goes in and he leaves the boat alone. Tragedy? Well, you know what? He's not going to be able to cast as well sometimes. He might get in a few more nests in his reel sometimes. But it's a triumphant thing for a father to love his wife and to love his children. When men and women stay in lower paying jobs in order to maintain solid spiritual environments, that's triumphant. I remember when we were, before we got married, we were in a church on Wednesday night, and I see men standing up in front of all these other folks. We had like three or 400 people at, at prayer meeting. That was pretty amazing by itself. And so these men would stand up and say, I've been offered a job over in another state. I can make much more money, but we're staying here because this is where my family is spiritually taken care of. These are triumphant things. When we stay in the will of God, when we operate according to God, and we see God working where he, He's favoring us with good, with good friends and making us to be uh, good friends who do the will of God. Well, there's the first thing to be thankful for. Be thankful for friends. The second thing to be thankful for is personal training. Look at verse 5. So David went out wherever Saul sent him and prospered. And Saul set him over the men of war. And it was pleasing in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. Now there's that word again. We heard that this morning. Remember we said, my servant will prosper. David prospered. David was wise. He behaved himself wisely. He behaved himself so wisely that that he pleased the people. He even pleased the king. And he was raised to the rank of a general in the army. David is walking around with the oil of anointing on him. He's trusting in the power of God, and he's living for the glory of God, and he's carrying out the king's orders with great success. So here's the question. Where did David learn how to act so wisely? Where did he learn that? Did uh, Saul call or did Saul send an email to Amazon and ask for a David in the box to be delivered on the front doorstep of his house? Did he go outside when the Amazon truck dropped its box off and turned the crank and out pops a David? Well, you know that's not how it happens. So where did David learn how to act so wisely? Well, he received personal training. 
He grew up in a godly home. You go think about who his daddy is. His daddy's Jesse. Who's his daddy? His daddy's Obed. Who was Obed's daddy? His Obed's daddy was Boaz. Who's Boaz married to? Boaz is married to Ruth. And many commentators believe that David grew up with Boaz and Ruth in their home often. He grew up. He's like Timothy. He was taught early sacred, the sacred writings. He was taught early to put his faith and trust in the covenant promises of God. And all of this is passing into David. And so you see David taking seriously everything he did. He's out, in the, he's out there with the sheep. He's coming to see his dad. And his dad says, go take care of the boys. Take them some cheeses. Remember the ten cheeses? The food and the ten cheeses. And bring me back some information. He does all this. And then he goes back out with the sheep. And he's back and forth, back and forth. And everything is very, very serious no one ever pops up like a jack-in-the-box on the big stage of history walks out in front of a goliath and knocks him down without doing it a thousand times in secret in secret he's been personally cared for he's been personally trained he's been personally taught and then he can walk out then he can do this thing but he was taken care of all these years under the eye of God when no one knew it. Then he could capture the attention of the nation. Do y'all remember the story about Susan Boyle? This is one of my favorite stories in the world. <laughs> this is a 47-year-old woman who walks out on Britain's Got Talent. She stood in front of the judges. Her, she's not really kept. She's got a funny sense of humor. And they're asking her, they say, what do you want to do? She said, I want to launch my singing career. And they la they're like laughing at her. She doesn't look like she could be launching her singing career. And I think everybody thinks she's just going to be a total dud. The music started playing. And, and for two minutes, she knocked dead 10 million viewers. And she won. And she did launch her own career. You sit there, she's taking care of a mother until she died, till the age of 47. And for all those years, somebody had been practicing in that home behind closed doors. Nobody walks out and knocks 10 million people off their, off their socks, out of their socks, uh, who hasn't been doing this privately. So you and I, we need to thank God for personal training. That personal training can be moms and dad. That personal training can be friends. That personal training can happen at work. But we need to thank God for pastors for Sunday school teachers and for all kinds of mentors. I, one of the things that Dwight tells me, he tells me he has mentors. He's had mentors. We need to thank God for those guys. We need to thank God for guys who would say, look, don't do it halfway. Don't become mediocre in what you're doing. Do it hot for God. William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, said this, I want my religion like my tea. Hot. He, don't be lukewarm. Give it all you've got. Put your arm to the plow. Give it all you've got. Live a hot life for God. Well, third, we thank God for, for our friends. We thank God for personal training. We thank God for enemies. <laughs> what? <laughs> Why would we thank God for enemies? Well, let's get there. So David, he moves into the king's living quarters, right? And he plays the harp for Saul. He goes to battle for Saul. And he's promoted by Saul. David's chief end was God's glory. But this is what got him in trouble. 
David was fighting for God's glory out on the battlefield. But the women, when they saw David come in from the battlefield out there with Goliath, that's where he got in trouble. The women weren't singing about the glory of God. The women were singing about the glory of David. So, you know, in basketball games, don't the, this crowd, the side over here on this bleachers, the same, we got spirit, yes, we do, we got spirit, how about you? And then they got the other team, uh, you know, when it's all clean, used to be clean, I don't know if it's, is it clean still? We got spirit, yes, we do, we got spirit, how about you? And this is going on back and forth, back and forth. Well, you on this side, you got women saying, Saul has slain his thousands. <laughs> and on the other side, the antiphonal is, and David has slain his tens of thousands. And this is going back and forth. And they're thinking about the glory of David. Somebody's listening. And somebody realizes he's not the fairest of them all in Israel anymore. And that, name, that person's name is Saul. And he became full of green-eyed envy and jealousy. On the one hand, God favored David with a friend. On the other hand, God favored David with an enemy. Now, how can it be favor to us to have an enemy? Well, God could have restrained Saul's jealousy and the envy that was in him, but he chose not to. And I think the reason that he did this is because he's going to use Saul's jealousy to crush out of David any pride. He's going to use that to wither his pride and make him spiritually mature. Think about David. He's hitting the top of the billboards. <laughs> he's on every commercial. Everybody's flattering him. The love of Jonathan, the love of the army and the people, and this is going to be checked by the jealousy of the king. God would use his jealousy to wither his pride. You see, Saul, remember Saul, we've talked about this. Saul is chosen, and God gives him Samuel, and Samuel is trying to help him spiritually mature, but he goes straight to the top like a bottle rocket, and he gets on the throne of Israel, and he doesn't have the maturity that he needs, but God's not going to let this happen with his, this man. Yes, he hit the top of the charts, but God would not allow him to get on the throne for 13 more years. And God will deal with his pride. Saul will throw spears at him. Saul will hunt him down with 3,000 crack troops like a flea in the mountains. David will learn to pray in caves he will face fatal consequences, but God will use all of this to mature him. I hope you remember this. You know the story about Prophet Jonah. Prophet Jonah, it was really hot. The sun was bearing down on him and the wind was blowing and he was really hot. So God appointed for him a vine. The vine grew up and gave him shade. The next day, the Lord appointed for him a worm. And the worm gnawed the shade away. The comfort and the, and the worm. The worm to work away his, his, uh, the comfort. And so on the one hand, you have this friend. On the one hand, you have a friend to comfort. On the other hand, you have a worm to, to gnaw the comfort at the comfort. Both of these are happening at the same time. And David's faith is increased during this time. David's patience is increased during this time. All of this to prepare him for the throne of Israel. I think I got this out of somebody's commentary. When God reached into his toolbox, he pulled out a worm. A worm. Are there any worms in your life? 
that we need to thank God for, that God uses to, to gnaw away at our pride. Have you ever thought about those that everybody seems to love you and then there's just this one person that doesn't hang on your words and they say something and it just, oh, man, that just hurts so bad. And it just withers our pride away. It makes us be more tender. It, it makes us be more kind. It makes us not be so full of ourselves. Well, we thank God for friends and personal training, for enemies, and finally we thank God for Jesus Christ. We look at Jonathan and David, and we see Jonathan was a friend that sticks closer than a brother. He's truly an eighth great um, wonder of all history to think that this man would love David. But the greatest friend and the greatest love we can ever know is our friendship with Jesus Christ. Jonathan's heart was knit to David when David had a triumphant victory on the battlefield, but Jesus' heart of love was knit to you when you were dead in your trespasses and sins. When you and I were still sinful, he demonstrated his love for us on the cross. Jonathan's love for David was the love of a superior for an inferior and Jesus' love is a love of a superior who became a servant like we heard this morning. A servant who came and washed our feet with his own blood. John, Jonathan's love was a covenant that he made with David that would end with their deaths. Jesus' covenant was made such that when he died that we would live forever and it would never end. Well, finally, I'll end with this. Jonathan closed David with his royal garments as the heir apparent to the throne. But the Lord Jesus Christ, He went one step further. He not only clothed us with the righteousness that He provides for us with His life and death, but He also took all of our unrighteousness and He died for it on the cross so that we might have heaven opened up to us. Well, we need to thank God in everything. We need to thank God for our friends, personal training, (laughs) that comes from somebody who did that for a long time and then we thank God for our enemies and in particular Jesus Christ who is our friend who saves us who trains us who helps us with our enemies and he opens up the door to eternal dwellings through faith in him let's pray father thank you for our opportunity again to read your word to hear it to understand it, to have your Holy Spirit be at work in us. And we pray, Father, that we might do your will from our hearts. We pray that we might be those submissive servants who love our Lord Jesus Christ, our best friend, who went to the cross for us, but before that he lived a perfect life for us, that we might have that righteousness. And he suffered our penalty, and now he gives us that garment so that we can walk away from this place tonight to go out and do the will of God with new hearts and new desires and new lives. Strengthen us now as we, as we finish out this evening. Help us relish uh, in our friendship with Jesus and with each other. Thank you for this time. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.